All right. Well, we are continuing um, a series that we started last week um, going through the book of Colossians. And so we covered the first eight verses and we did a bit of an overview. And um, not to get too sidetracked for a moment in a couple of announcements, but we just want to make you guys aware of a few things. Um, I don't even know if a lot of you have ever been to our website. We kind of have this blog style website. It's Grace Chapel Knoxville. .net. And so one of the things you can do, Alex posted last week's sermon online. And so the audio recording is up. It's not videoed or anything. But if you want to listen, you can do that. You know, one of these days we'll get really high tech and have like an iTunes podcast or something like that. But anyways, if you want, you can go online and, and listen to that message and get caught up if, if you want to. Um, so that's available. Um, we'll talk about some other stuff related to our website next Sunday. Um, just want to make you guys aware, you know, we did this once or twice between Easter and in the living room back at our house when we were doing that, where just every so often we'll take a Sunday service and we'll slow down and we'll do things like take communion together and just talk even about some just kind of family business, like what's happening in the church, um, how's the Lord the Lord's providing for needs, maybe ways we're serving in the community. And so um, probably roughly once a month, we'll try to do that. And so next Sunday is the last Sunday in June, and we're just going to kind of slow down and have what we're going to call Sacrament Sunday together. So we'll partake of communion. We'll give you guys just a little bit of updates on some things happening. Um, and so just want to encourage you to, to come be a part of that next Sunday um, as we worship together. Um, so yeah, just a few things to kind of give you a heads up. All right, this morning, this morning we're picking up where we left off. Uh, last week we finished in verse 8, and the main, the main thing that we talked about last week was this idea of God's grace that is available to us. And specifically, there was this phrase where Paul was writing and saying that his desire is that the Colossians and, and all of us that are now reading this letter, because he said when he wrote this letter, this is to Colossians, it's to another church nearby in a nearby town, and it's to all those I haven't met yet. Anybody in here ever met Paul, hung out with him? You're like really old if you have met Paul, the apostle. So this letter's to us. And in it, he said, my desire is that you would receive God's grace in truth, that you'd have a clear, accurate picture, an accurate representation of God's grace, not a diminished version that is unloving and uncaring towards people, and also not some cold, hard truth that leaves out the love and heart of God, but that you would have an accurate grasp that you would grab hold of and receive the truth, the reality of God's grace in your life. And so now we're moving forward this morning into verses 9 through 12, and we're going to talk about knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And, you know, each week when we meet, I believe there's something specific to that morning, but I really do see these things connecting. And the thing God wants us to grow in knowledge of and wisdom understanding of is his grace that's available. That's what he wants us to grow in. So we're going to start by reading just these four verses together. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We joked about this last week, but you know, Paul is just great at writing those nice, really long sentences. So there's so much to try to take in. So we're going to work through and unpack that in just a minute, but let's pray together one more time and just ask the Lord to come and make this word come alive in our hearts. And so Lord, we commit this time to you. God, I pray that you would come and you would speak to us. Lord, this wouldn't be about what I have to say this morning, but Holy Spirit, that you would come and do a miraculous work in our hearts. Help our minds to hear and understand and receive your word. God, I pray it would go beyond our minds and it would travel down into our very hearts. God, that this would take root in us. It would grow and produce much fruit. God, that your word would be life to us today. Jesus, I, I remember you saying, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, I pray that this would be like food to our souls this morning. 
And so, God, we commit this time to you. We give you our heart, our minds, our attention. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So about a year ago, I'm still living in Franklin and working at Grace Chapel and um, I'm hanging out in my office and our executive pastor has this, this older, I mean, probably 15, 20 year old BMW convertible and he just kind of keeps it just to ride around in when the weather's nice. And so he pulls up, he parks it, he leaves it running and he runs into the office and this is all happening right outside my window. Now, if you know me at all, I can be a little bit of a prankster. And so I'm just feeling like this is a perfect moment to mess with my friend Mark. I'm going to go move his car and hide it so he can't find it. So I'm just kind of I'm already laughing like this is going to be so funny. It's going to be so great. So I go running out of my office. I jump in his car and I sit down. And the first thing I realize is, oh, this is a stick shift. It's, you know, it's been a minute since I've driven a stick shift. I'll just say that. So I get in, I'm like, okay, that'll be all right. So I go to put it in gear and I'm like, I think I've got it in gear and I'm, I'm hitting the gas and trying to let off the clutch and, you know, I'm trying to coordinate that and man, I'm not moving, I'm not moving anywhere. Like the engine's revving, but I'm not traveling anywhere. And then I can hear it like it's starting to want to like die, like I'm about to kill it. So I pull it back out of gear. I try again. Well, you know, this, this car has a little bit of oomph to the engine. And so, you know, there's people inside and they begin to hear what's going on out there as I can't get this car to move. And so very quickly, the joke was on me and all of the staff members start coming out and they're cracking up laughing. Were you there that day? Do you remember this, Alex? Yeah. I mean, listen, let's be honest. It was, it was pretty funny. I could not get this car to move. And so eventually here comes Mark walking out, just looking at me like, oh yeah, you're real funny, huh? What are you up to? And I'm just like totally ashamed, like head hung in failure. And, you know, I instantly, like my pride immediately kicks in, right? And I'm like, no, listen, I mean, I've driven a stick shift. I've owned multiple cars that were like, I drove a Ford F1, or not F-150, I drove an old Ford Ranger for like three years. It was a stick shift. Like, I, I know what I'm doing, I promise. I'm not sure. Something must be wrong with the car. Like I couldn't get into first or something. And I'm just doing that thing where I'm making excuses for my lack of knowledge and ability with this car. And I thought, you know, some old knowledge I had from the past would be sufficient for this vehicle that I'd never been in, I didn't know, and honestly, I was out of practice. Now, as silly of an example as that might be, so often in life, we are confronted with situations that require knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. And in, in my pride, at least, I'm often too prideful to admit, I don't have the answers in this situation. I need some help. I need some guidance. I need some hands-on familiarity with this that I don't have. And the, the man in me wants to just be tough and figure it out on my own. And in reality, I need to turn to the one who has all knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And so this is what Paul's talking about. Like as silly as that example is with the car, like this is an issue in all of our lives. It's an issue in our walk with the Lord. It's a struggle in our relationships. I mean, listen, any, any husbands in the room, do you ever feel like you need a little insight or wisdom in how to communicate better with your wife? I think so. Any siblings in the room? You got any siblings you've ever just wanted to like wring their neck a little bit? Like life's difficult. It's challenging. And so Paul writes, he says, listen, my hope for you, in fact, it's not just a hope for you, I'm praying all the time for you. Here in verse 9, I'm praying all the time for you. When he says there, from the day we heard, he's talking about since the day he heard that they were walking with the Lord. And from the day he heard that they were walking with the Lord, he said, I've not ceased to pray for you, that you'd be filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So let's define these a little bit. Knowledge. This specific kind of knowledge talked about here in this passage is, is knowledge, it's learned information, but it's more than just classroom learning. It's learned information through firsthand experience. It's contact knowledge. That's what I was lacking with Mark's vehicle. I had a basic knowledge of how a clutch works and how to operate the stick shift, and, but I had never used that vehicle before. And so I'm rushing into this situation and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have that, that firsthand knowledge of that vehicle. Okay, secondly, the second word in this passage is wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to apply that knowledge 
to practical, specific situations. This is developing skill, expertise, tact. It's possible to have the right information, but not really know how to apply it in a specific situation. And so wisdom brings that ability to take the learned knowledge and apply it. I was hanging out with a guy yesterday, and he was, he's pretty fresh out of medical school, and he's starting to work at a hospital, and he was just like, man, like you, you learn a lot, and you're as prepared as you can be, but when you get in that real-world situation, it's totally different. And there's all kinds of things now. I'm learning practical things that I'm learning right there on the job as I go. And it's just another layer of wisdom now that I'm looking at this patient, I'm working with them. It goes beyond just the knowledge I acquired prior to being here. That's wisdom. Understanding. Understanding is the ability to comprehend or reason out concepts and seeing relationships between them. See, understanding is even another, another step beyond wisdom. Wisdom might be, I know what to do in this situation. Understanding sees the big picture. Understanding recognizes how everything connects to one another and works together and how this, this person and this thing over here connects to this person and this thing over here, how these concepts fit together. That's understanding. God wants to make this available to us. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding in our walk with God, like in deep spiritual matters of the heart. But he also wants to offer us those things in practical everyday situations with people, with employees, with, with vehicles even. Like, there's been moments, as silly as it sounds, where I'll have this little thought, this little like reminder, this little prompting from God about something really practical and simple in my life, and I blow it off, and then 30 minutes later, I realize, oh, I should have listened to that. Like, God cares about every little detail. So let me give you an example of this. We all have a relationship with a very specific device in our lives. And when we first encountered this device and formed our relationship with it, you know, we were probably just starting to learn how to walk. And perhaps we wandered into the kitchen and we start getting close to, to this brand new relationship with this device we're about to encounter. And all we hear is, no, stop, it's hot. Anybody want to guess what item this is? Any parents in the room? What is it? A stove, right? That stove. And so when our kids first start reaching the age, when you first started reaching the age where you could reach that stove, you were given some information. You were given some knowledge. Stove hot. Hot is bad. Owie. It'll hurt you, right? You're like, you know, as a parent, you find like, what are the one or two words I can somehow communicate? Some of us were like these really good, you know, choir boys that like, we heard that's like, Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm not going to touch. Others of you might have been like me, and you kind of had to learn from firsthand experience, literally. Oh, that's what hot means. Okay, got it. Can I now be rushed to the doctor for these third-degree burns? Right? So we gain knowledge. But listen, is that all there is to know about a stove? It's hot and it's bad? What if we all just stopped there? We're eating cereal the rest of our lives. That stove is there. It has a purpose. It has meaning. It accomplishes something valuable. I like the stuff that my mom was cooking on that stove. But for me in that moment, that stove was bad. And if I touch it, it's hot and I'm getting burned. But as we grew, we increased in knowledge. And as we get older, maybe some of us actually learned how to use a stove. I'm not going to get a show of hands here this morning of how many of us can appropriately cook some food without burning it, but some of us have probably learned how to use a stove at this point. And so we've gained some wisdom. We've learned how to use utensils. We can read and follow a recipe. We can put together a, a meal. We've gained some wisdom and some expertise in cooking. Then there's like the Bobby Flay level of understanding, right? There's the Bobby Flay chef that just like, he's not just following recipes and knows how to, how to use some basic utensils. This guy like, he's creating. He's trying new things. He's seeing connections between a food item over here and a food item over here that I would never put together. Like you're putting spices in that, what? And so there's this, this level of depth and understanding that increases as we grow and pursue something. Do you guys see that? So I know that's a silly example, but that's, it's just a picture of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. My fear is that all too often, 
even as believers in our relationship with God, we stop at knowledge. I get some basic knowledge like this good, this bad, the end. And I don't grow and, and learn from him wisdom and understanding and seeing connections with people and what all God has going on. And listen, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning, but watching what has happened in the last week as it relates to Orlando and what's happened down there, I mean, it's, it's stunning everything that's involved in that situation. You talk about a situation that requires knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. I mean, think of all the issues that are touched in that. Terror. Terrorism is touched in that. Islam. Lots of thoughts and feelings on Islam and its role and influence. The LGBT community. Our feelings and thoughts on that, where we stand on that. Gun laws. I mean, how quickly did this situation, all these different things to begin to come up? The FBI and the role of protection versus privacy. All these things come to the surface. And then finally, you know, the best place possible to talk about all this stuff is, of course, on social media. And so that's gone really, really well. Right? Guys, here's what's happened. For so many of us, what's happened is when, when a crisis like this happens, we've lost the ability just to stop for a minute, to mourn, to have compassion, and in a rush to judgment, I just wonder even how much we stop and pray and just go, God, what is your heart in this matter? What do you think about this situation? What kind of comfort do people need? What kind of truth needs to be shared? And God, what's my role in that? Who am I in this? But in our rush to judgment, I, I feel like we tend to fall in one camp or the other. I either grab hold of maybe one issue and take a stand on that corner, or I become numb to all of it. Because like this stuff keeps happening over and over, doesn't it? Does anybody else struggle with just kind of getting numb to it? And it's like, I almost need to just turn it off. That's not the answer. God has the answer. And it's time that we turn to him for knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Lord, how do we love people well? How do we communicate the truth of who you are in this situation? There are real issues that are difficult and challenging and they need to be wrestled through. I don't want to diminish any one of them, but to have the wisdom and understanding to see how all of that connects and what our role in it is as an individual and as the church as God's representation to the world here on this planet. What is our role? How do we as the church accurately reflect the heart of God to a lost and hurting and dying world? People who are mourning, people who are afraid. How do we minister life to them? I can't possibly do that apart from God. And so we have a picture of this kind of wisdom and understanding in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus is, is gathered and he's coming to the temple once again and people are gathered all around him. And there's all kinds of people there. There's the chief priests and Pharisees. There's devout people who are following God, devout Jews. There's also a lot of sinners who've been following Jesus around to hear what he has to say. And all these people are gathered. And he begins to teach in the temple and all of a sudden, the, the, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they bring in this woman that was caught in adultery and they throw her at his feet. And when they do that, they immediately say, this is what the law says. The law says she is to be stoned. What do you have to say? And the scripture tells us they were, they were looking to trap him. Now, I don't know if we realize how complicated this issue is, but Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. He also came to rescue sinners. And the Pharisees are watching. The sinners are checking Jesus out. They're following him around. They feel welcome. They feel like they can be in his presence. He has said things like, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. And so here's all these people in one place. And here's this woman who's committed a sin that in that day, in that culture, and according to the law of Moses, like she could be stoned for this. I will pause and say the law of Moses doesn't say it's required. It says they can be. 
And so she's brought before him, and this is a tense moment. Well, does Jesus just immediately stand up and start, well, let me tell you guys how we're going to handle this. Anybody know what he does? He sits down. He gets quiet. He draws in the dirt. This drives the people there crazy. It drives them crazy. Wait a minute. Give us your quick answer. Now, I don't know what Jesus was doing. I don't know what he was writing in the dirt. Lots of people speculate. There's really cool thoughts and ideas on what it might be. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. I do know that Jesus retreated often to pray. And he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He listened to his Father and he followed his lead. I think there's a really good chance he's just kind of having a silent prayer right there in the moment. I remember um, as a kid growing up, I reached an age where I started going to work with my dad some. And he worked at a steel plant for like 20-something years. And I remember going to the steel plant, and I'm there working with him, and he's the boss. I'm, I'm, I can't call him dad at work. I got to call him Bob. Like, I got to go by. I, we got to be professional here at work, right? And I remember this, this machine broke, and everybody was looking to him to make a decision because there was a rush order, and what are we going to do to fulfill this order? And I remember my dad walked off, and he left the situation. And I was standing there with the rest of the guys, and, like, they're talking about my dad, and, like, they're not happy, like, I mean, what's he doing? We got to get this figured out. He's just wandering off. Like, what's the deal? And they're getting impatient and frustrated. About 10 minutes later, he walks up. Here's what we're going to do. Do, 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 do. These guys are going to fix the machine. We're going to move this over to this machine to get the order. Had it all laid out, done. Everybody walked it out. I found out later, my dad said, yeah, I just walked off to pray for a few minutes. Talk to the Lord about maybe what we should do. Jesus stops. Everybody keeps at him, keeps at him. And so verse 7, it says, I think we have this. Verse 7 says, So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Does he say we shouldn't stone people? The law's changed? Does he say that? Does he diminish the law? No. Does he say, you know what, y'all are right, let's... Let's take care of business. Somebody toss me a rock. Does he say that? No. He gets right to the heart of the issue. He sees past the noise of the specific moment and he sees the human condition. People are in need of mercy, forgiveness, and change that can only come from God. He sees through all of it and he points this out. And then, then does he go on his soapbox and, and explain everything that he's thinking? No, he squats right back down the dirt and starts to write some more. And so one by one, people drop their rocks and they walk off. And eventually, it's just Jesus left alone standing with this woman. That's it. Verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, if you ever thought about this, but guess who didn't walk off when everybody else had to walk off because they'd all sinned? Jesus had never sinned. He had every right to throw the stone. But the God of heaven who'd come to earth and taken on the form of a man communicated love and compassion and forgiveness. And we should take note, he didn't say, your sins are forgiven, I don't condemn you. Go back to your adulterous ways. He says, go and sin no more. He doesn't diminish sin. He doesn't pretend like it's not a serious issue and doesn't need to be dealt with, but he extends forgiveness and the grace of God. And he encourages her to go and sin no more. I want that person giving me counsel, knowledge, wisdom, understanding. I want to learn from Jesus how to live like this, how to, how to look at a situation and know what to do. And thankfully, Jesus is available to us. We don't just have principles that we can learn in Scripture. We have a God that we can know. We have a God that we can know. The God of the Bible is alive and he loves us and he's inviting us into relationship. 
And through his word, we can learn more and more about him. And through prayer, we can see how to apply his word to specific situations. We can learn from the wisdom and instruction of others around us that God puts in our life. And we can grow in this area. And that's what Paul is praying for and what he's encouraging. And look at the specific thing that he says he wants them to be filled with knowledge about. Back at verse 9 really quick. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of what? Y'all can say it. Knowledge of what? His will. Is Paul praying for something that's impossible to have? Is Paul spending his time going, I'm going to pray for this thing that'll never happen for you? No. That tells me it is possible to be filled more and more with the knowledge of God's will, of his heart towards us. Now, there's a whole other sermon, probably a whole other sermon series on God's will and learning to figure that out and hear his voice and all of that. But I just want to say a couple things briefly about God's will. God's will is what he wants to happen. And when, when we hear in the scripture, the kingdom of God, you guys familiar with that phrase, the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God simply means the space where God is king and what he wills happens. Your kingdom is your domain where what you will happens. So like at my house, if I want to have an ice cold root beer in the fridge, then either I go to the store or I write it on my wife's list and she goes to the store and adds that to the shopping list and puts it in the fridge and hey, my will just happened. There's some root beer in the fridge, right? hey, I, I feel like having a cheeseburger this afternoon. Well, if my wallet tells me I've got five bucks and I can head down, oh, probably 10 bucks if I'm going to five guys, but you know, like I, I can make that happen. That's within my realm of control. It's within my kingdom. Well, God has a kingdom and in his kingdom, his will happens. The invitation of Jesus is that God's kingdom has come and it's available and we can participate in it. And if I'm willing to bring my will, my knowledge, my wisdom, my understanding and say, you know what, God, I could live based on that or I can come over here and bring my kingdom, whatever, however small that might be, seems pretty tiny sometimes, I can bring my kingdom over here and submit it into yours, into the place where your will happens. And then you'll begin to teach me how to have knowledge and wisdom and understanding of what you want to have happen right here. His kingdom isn't a location. We don't have to wait till heaven. Now, don't mishear me. Heaven is perfect. When his kingdom comes in its fullness, it's going to be perfect. But available right now to us today is God's presence and his will and his ability to do miraculous things in our lives, in our world, in our midst. And there's one thing I can tell you about God's will. God's will is our good. That's what he wills. He wills our good. He wills what's good for us. He desires what's best for us. A lot of our problems come when we read that filter in a very selfish way. What's good for me? Well, he cares about what's good for me. He also cares about what's good for my wife. He cares about what's good for my kids. And sometimes what's best for me is not the thing that feels good. It's the thing that will produce something good. Am I going to let him dictate what's good? So I want to do something here. The scripture is, is littered literally with tons of scriptures that talk about how we can truly gain knowledge. And I just want to give you a flavor for some of this. So we're going to go through this fairly quickly. You know, this might be a spot where if you want to do some digging on your own this week, you could really slow down and dig into these passages. But we're just going to go through this fairly quickly. You guys good? You with me this morning? Your heads are nodding, but like y'all with me? Yes? Yeah, yeah? awesome. Cool. Okay, y'all are doing great. All right, first of all, Proverbs 1.7 tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, step one in gaining wisdom and knowledge and understanding is recognizing God's position as the one with all the knowledge. That takes perspective and it takes humility. 
you know, sitting here this morning, especially if, if you're in this room and, and you love Jesus and you've given your life to him, it may not seem like a big deal to say, God has knowledge that I don't have. I can tell you, the world is full of people who, that, they can't get past like step one right there. It is a humbling thing to acknowledge, I am a creature and there is a creator and he has knowledge that I don't have. And, and I need to choose to humble myself and receive from him what I don't have. That's a conscious choice that has to be made. And it requires perspective and humility. But that's the starting point. We have to choose to believe stuff like this that Peter was talking about in 2 Peter 1.3. God's divine power has granted to us all things. Can you guys say all things? He has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's everyday life. And that's my life as a spiritual being created in God's image in relationship with him. Everything that's needed pertaining to that, he's made it available through what? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. See, in deciding to fear the Lord and recognize he's got something I don't have, I need to be able to see that what is available is something good and beneficial that touches my whole life. We'll continue on. These next, next three we're going to look at are all in either 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. This is the guy that Paul was pouring his life into that we noticed last week was a part of writing this letter to the Colossians. So Paul and Timothy, these guys that wrote together the book of Colossians, this letter to this church, this is like conversation that they've been having between the two of them about knowledge. And in the first letter to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes and encourages Timothy. He says, listen, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God who desires all people. Can y'all say all people? That was lame. That was lame. All people. There you go. Hey, listen, y'all just got to help me out every now and then. You know, I'm doing most of the talking up here. That gets boring. Help me out. All right who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So God has made available to us all things that are needed for life and godliness, and he's made them available to all people. All people may not receive it. They may not choose it. In fact, according to Jesus, many will not. Narrow is that road. But it is available to all people. That is God's heart. The problem is what he then warns Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now he starts in verse 1 and, and he is giving a warning. He's talking about like our day. He says in the last day, all these things are going to happen. People are going to freak out and they're going to be slanders and they're going to be, and he just runs through this whole list. The list of what we would just say is like just worldly junk. But then he gets to a second list and he says there's also people that are going to have the appearance or form of godliness, but no real power in their lives. And they're actually denying the truth. And then he warns him and he says there is a real danger. And in first, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7, he says there is the ability to be people who are always learning and yet never, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. That should be a sobering verse for every single one of us. He's talking about people sitting in church. He's talking about people that are hearing all the information, but that information is not leading to transformation. There's no power in it because the knowledge isn't going anywhere. That knowledge isn't turning into wisdom because it's not being applied. It's not turning into understanding because we're not walking in a real relationship with Jesus where he's showing us what he's up to in this world. It's a danger. It's a warning. But there's good news. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. says, listen, all these people, all these, these foolish, ignorant controversies that you know that breed quarrels, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I mean, doesn't it sound like Paul just described Jesus with that woman caught in adultery? Listen to that one more time, picturing Jesus in that moment. Kind to everyone. You know, he didn't out loud start going, hey, uh, Alex, and then list a few sins Alex had committed. 
uh, hey, Dale, and then listing a few sit right? He pointed out, if you haven't sinned, cast the first stone. He didn't go around the room calling out everybody's junk. He didn't do what they'd done with the woman. He could have. He was kind to everyone, able to teach. Look at the wisdom in just one sentence, how much he taught them. Some of you guys probably wish I would have been able to do that this morning. One sentence, and then we're out of here, lunch. Sorry, I haven't, haven't reached that level of wisdom and understanding yet. Y'all are stuck with my long explanation, right? But you see this? Able to teach, patiently enduring evil. I mean, don't you know, it just had to be exhausting being Jesus and over and over and over again, these Pharisees, like these are the bros that are supposed to know God and be helping people. And constantly these guys are fighting for power and attacking Jesus and pushing people down. I mean, it just had to be draining. I mean, I never feel like that living here in America. I never look around at the news and go, oh, I'm just sick of it. No, it, it's all great. It's wonderful. No, man, we, we have a world that's in our face and it gets exhausting. And yet, are we able to patiently endure evil? Look at this, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? What's the purpose in this? To just tell them it's okay? No. That God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. What leads to knowledge of the truth? Repentance. You want to know the first step this morning to grab hold of the knowledge that's available to us? It's having an attitude of repentance. Now, it's easy to think, oh yeah, I did that. I had that moment where I came to Jesus and I repented of my old life. Maybe I'm the only one. I find myself in need of pretty regular repentance. God, I blew it in this situation. Lord, I thought I had this figured out and would handle this the right way. I thought by now I'm like a good enough dad where that wouldn't come out of my mouth towards my kids, and there it is. It's not just a one-time thing. Repentance is a, is a constant adjustment from, from here and, and how I'm living here and viewing myself here back to him and referencing him and looking to him for what I lack. Repentance leads to knowledge. Here's the deal. Repentance is, is, is way more than just words that come out of our mouth. It's way more than words that have come out of our mouth. You know, I think it's good as a parent to teach your kids to apologize and make things right. I do get afraid sometimes, even as, even as a parent who does that, like I tell my kids, like, we're going to work this out. I'm afraid that I've just, maybe I'm, I'm turning repentance into just you say this, they say this, done. It's more than just words. Repentance is also more than just dealing with an emotional feeling of guilt. One of the reasons that the world can look at Christianity and think it's weak is it's like, well, you're just doing that to appease your guilty conscience. No, 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 no. Repentance affects the whole person. The whole person. Apart from God, spiritually, I'm dead. I'm not even alive. I don't even have a chance to have my spirit come alive apart from God. My spirit needs repentance. My body, my body's in trouble. Anybody feeling more aches and pains and creaks and groans and watching their body get older? Like, I got bad news for you this morning. Even some of you young ones in the room, we're dying. Sorry, it's happening. Without the hope of Jesus to intervene and change that, we have an end date. Our bodies are dying. Our bodies need repentance. Our bodies need to come and change, be changed. Mentally, it's so interesting to me that, that I, would, I would even consider that I could reason appropriately in any situation and ignore the person who made me to be able to reason and to think. It's like throwing out the owner's manual and just winging it. Mentally, we need repentance. I can't even accurately see this world and what's happening in this world apart from God's direction. Mentally, I need repentance. For sure, emotionally, I do. I mean, man, brokenness, addiction, hurt, guilt, that needs to be dealt with. Our whole selves need repentance, and our whole selves will benefit not only from the moment of repentance, but what repentance leads to, the knowledge and wisdom and understanding that will come from God about how I live as a spiritual being. 
about how I treat and utilize my physical body that God's given me, about how I reason and think and communicate with others, about how my emotions react to the world around me. All of that needs God's touch. Repentance affects the whole person. All right. I want to give y'all a picture of something, and then we're going to move towards wrapping things up. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, you know, God has, has created everything. He's finished the process of creation. He's setting up this beautiful garden, the Garden of Eden, this wonderful place for Adam and Eve to live. And there's all these trees and fruits and vegetables, and the animals are there, and just things are at peace. And he puts man there to have dominion, to have a kingdom, to have rule. And in verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So it was enjoyable. It wasn't just like, you know, here, this will help feed you. It might not taste very good, but here it is. No, it looked good. It tasted good. It was perfect. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he puts these two trees there. Then we skip down to verse 16. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's the deal. I've, I've thought about these trees a lot over the years. There really were two trees in the garden. There's the life tree and the death tree. And, you know, when we call the tree the knowledge of good and evil, they actually already had knowledge of one of those things. What did they already have the knowledge of? Good. That's all they knew. All they knew was good. They had this life-giving tree, this representation of the life and the goodness of God. And then they had the opportunity for choice over here. And the only thing that would bring is knowledge of evil and death. And what has happened as a result of that fall and then our own choices and decisions on top of our sin nature that we're born with, the result of that is now we're over here. We've got plenty of knowledge of what's evil. We know what that tastes like. We know what that feels like. But God desires to give us that which is good. That's his will towards us. And so repentance is saying, God, I'm tired of eating from this tree. I'm tired of leaning on my own wisdom and the wisdom and knowledge of this world that is broken and it's hurting and it's dying. God, that fruit tastes, it doesn't satisfy. It tastes disgusting in my mouth. It leaves me dry and hungry. And I'm surrounded by people who are dry and hungry. God, I need you. I need the life that you offer. And so, God, I'm choosing to turn from this and come towards you and receive the good that comes only from you. Repentance is about actually recognizing reality. It's about recognizing the reality of my situation and the reality of the situation of the whole world and looking that reality in the face and recognizing, okay, God, I need you. I'm not just saying I repent. I'm putting into action the process of repentance. It means a 180 degree turn. God, I've been living this way and I'm tired of it. And so I'm turning to you. I'm coming this way. And there's a change. And then what's available to us is life. It's knowledge. It's wisdom. It's understanding of who God is. All right, let's get through these last few verses in Colossians. I know we spent most of our time in, in verse 9. And so let's read verses 9 and 10 again one more time. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So notice he's praying that they'd be filled with this, the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and then what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, without doing this whole big study on this, there's a picture here. Over here, you receive knowledge of God's will. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. You receive it. And then you take that and you begin to apply it. And there's fruit in your life. And you're walking with God and you're pleasing Him and life is good. And so you're walking that path for a while and then you end up over here and you know more stuff. 
it leads to increased knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And then guess what happens? I've got this increased knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And then I begin walking out my life and I'm seeing the fruit of it and the growth of it. And guess what? I increase some more in knowledge. Knowing leads to growing, which leads to knowing, which leads to growing. It's a process that unfolds. This is one of the reasons why I daily need him in his presence. The food I ate yesterday isn't taking care of me today. When my kids ask me for breakfast, I don't say, well, did you eat breakfast yesterday? You're covered, right? I wouldn't say that. They need food today. Knowing leads to growing. Now, we're not this morning yet talking about the process of that, but I do want to encourage you as we continue in the book of Colossians. I mentioned this last week. Chapter one is, is kind of about the power of God. Chapter two is where it gets really personal. And then chapters three and four is where it gets practical. And so I just want to say, we're going to revisit this issue of how we grow in wisdom. And we're going to see how it affects us personally in a couple of weeks when we get into chapter two. And then we'll see some very practical ways in our life that God wants to speak wisdom into our lives. So that's coming as we get down the road. The last thing I want you to see this morning, and then we're going to close, verses 11 and 12. If there's one thing I know, I need what verses 11 and 12 have to offer. He says, listen, this whole process of growing and increasing in knowledge and wisdom from God, this is what it's for. That you may be strengthened with all power. Anybody need some strength to face stuff, to face this life? We could be strengthened with eh, a little bit of strength. Yeah, the muscle will grow a little bit. Is that what he says? All power. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Not that just that I'm going to get stronger. He's in me and he's strong enough already. I'm going to get strength from him for all endurance and patience. Like just, just in case endurance didn't cover it enough, like some patience along the way is going to be needed and it's available. I love this next word. He throws in joy. Listen, life's tough. We're surrounded by difficult circumstances. We don't have to just trudge around as believers just trying to get through. God's saying, I'm going to give you strength and endurance and patience and joy. In fact, so much joy. Look at this. You're going to be able to give thanks to the Father. You're going to have an attitude of thanksgiving. This is what gets produced by having proper perspective, by receiving knowledge and wisdom and understanding. In fact, we've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in life, in light, sorry. Okay, so as we, as we close this morning, I just want to encourage you guys. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is available. Don't be intimidated by these big words. When I, when I hear those, like, I just think of how much I lack still. When I hear people talk about wisdom and understanding, I just go straight to all the places I fall short. Don't do that. Of course we fall short. The furthest one along falls short. But he is with us and he loves us and we can learn from him. In fact, Jesus says, come and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's God's invitation to be in a living relationship with him. And by being in that relationship, we will know and we will grow and we will know and we will grow and we will find ourselves moving from darkness into light. That's what we're going to talk about next week, moving from darkness to light. And as just a quick preview of that, I thought this was interesting. When Jesus was done telling the woman, go and sin no more, the next thing out of his mouth mirrors the next thing out of Paul's mouth right here in this passage. Check this out, John 8, 12. It's the very next verse after he tells the woman, go and sin no more. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Paul picks up on that theme and he says in Colossians 12, which we just read through verse 14, giving thanks to the Father who qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain or kingdom of darkness. And he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we're going to talk about next week, moving from darkness 
to light. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the life that we have in you, the life that is available to discover in you. God, I thank you that we're in process. We don't have it all figured out and we don't have to have it all figured out. You are God and we are not. Lord, we acknowledge that this morning. I acknowledge that. God, I pray for my friends this morning, Lord, that that we would have that sense of humility, that fear of the Lord would truly be the beginning of wisdom for us. God, we humble ourselves and say, you're God and I'm not. And Lord, I choose to believe that what is available from you is life, is good, is everything that pertains to life and godliness, that it's available to me, it's available to everyone. God, I don't want to be one of those who's always learning and never attaining, never arriving at the knowledge of truth. God, this morning, I even want to slow down and say today, Lord, places in my life right now that I can think of, God, where I need to repent and turn to you, where I need to stop leaning on my own strength, my own wisdom, my own knowledge and ability. God, I'm sorry for where I've fallen short there. God, I turn to you and I, I want to receive knowledge and wisdom from you. God, thank you that you know me, that you love me, that I can walk daily in relationship with you. God, I thank you that you make knowledge available so that I can know and I can grow and I can know and I can grow. And God, it'll lead to strength and endurance, to patience, to joy, to thanksgiving. Life in you. We love you. God, on this Father's Day, we thank you for being the perfect father. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you, Abba. Thank you, Daddy. We love you. You're a good dad. Thank you for our fathers. The good, the bad, and the ugly. God, thank you for them. Thank you that they're all just a hint, a glimpse in their frailty and in their strengths. God, they're just a glimpse of our hunger and our need for you, our perfect father. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.